Hello, I'm Brian Diaz. And I'm Sam Ray. And we're both physios or licensed physical therapists here at Upright Athlete in Durham, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. My background is in soccer collegiately, and then I transitioned into triathlons of various distances. My background is in swimming and running collegiately, and then I moved back to North Carolina after getting my doctorate, and I'm now focusing on triathlons. For more information on us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook and check out our podcast on Spotify. Today on episode three of the Upright Athlete Podcast, we are joined by Dominic Botella, owner and head instructor of Swimbox. Dominic has 16 years of coaching experience, working with swimmers of all ages and ability levels. He is an instructor for U.S. Master Swimming Certifications and the U.S. Master Swimming Adult Learn to Swim program. Dominic was the two-time lead coach at the U.S. Master Swimming High Performance Camp, in addition to working with the Swimming Rehabilitation and Adaptive Swimming programs at Bethesda Naval Hospital for the Wounded Warriors. We are so excited to have Dominic on the call today and hope you all enjoy. First off, I'd like to send a quick thanks to our sponsors. Our namesake, Upright Athlete, is a leader in sports and orthopedic rehab and training based out of Durham, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Its East Coast location is minutes from an international airport where clients will fly in from all over the country seeking treatment and access to its state-of-the-art facilities and technology in biomechanics and movement assessment. With concierge shuttle service from nearly all surrounding hotels, please set up a telemedicine consult or visit soon to get started. Visit uprightathlete.com for more details or follow us on Instagram at UprightApp. Assess, perform, refine, stay upright. Also supporting this episode is Volt Movement. Dr. Sam Ray is currently accepting new clients for performance coaching at all levels. Volt is running a promo for our podcast listeners for a free phone or Zoom consultation for the end of the year. So please visit the website at voltmovement.com for more information. officially episode three of the upright athlete podcast yes so tell us just start for anyone that hasn't heard of swimbox who you are what swimbox is and all of the amazing things that you guys are doing i'm dominic latella i am the owner and lead instructor of swimbox which is a um endless pool swim school facility meaning we teach our lessons one-on-one uh, in a endless pool, which is just a self-contained pool so that we have tremendous control over uh, the environment in which we're teaching in. Um, we use video equipment to do video analysis under the water, above the water, and we have mirrors in the pools and above the pools so people who are swimming can see themselves um, and start making changes based off of what they see. And then we can also go back and show them video uh, to show them maybe what they thought they were seeing isn't really there, um, <laughs> which is a thing. So uh, we're based in Northern Virginia right now. We have locations in Arlington and a location in Sterling, Virginia. Um, and we're hopefully getting to North Carolina soon. Fingers crossed uh, for trying. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's, that's the abridged version. Um, I think I've been coaching now for 15 years. This summer make it will be 16 years. Uh, and I have been a full-time swim coach that entire time. 
uh, it's the only real job I've ever had. <laughs> All that a real job. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I know I already know this, but I like for other people to hear this. So what made you want to start Swimbox? Um, so I started swimming competitively at about 12 years old, which is kind of late for most competitors. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I've definitely heard of people starting later, but you know, on the late side. Yeah. So by the time I was 15, 16 years old, so maybe just three or four years into it, I had some pretty complicated at the time thought to be pretty complicated shoulder issues. Uh, and it got to the point where physical therapists couldn't help me anymore. Uh, they basically just said, don't do butterfly. Uh, and my swim coach <laughs> basically said, just start breathing to the other side. That, that might help your shoulder. Um, neither one of those things helped. <laughs> so when I got to be a senior in high school, I had to make a decision if I was going to actually try to swim in college or if I was just going to drop swimming altogether. And I decided that the pain wasn't worth continuing swimming. So I stopped. I decided I wasn't going to go to a school that had a swim team. Turns out, fast forward two more years, where I, I went to school, Savannah College of Art and Design, we decided to have a swim team. I couldn't stay away. Um, <laughs> so I got to swim on my college team my junior and senior year, kind of, because my senior year, I had sh uh, surgery on both of my shoulders. Um, because the problem could never get resolved. Turns out maybe a little bit genetics, but mostly bad technique. <laughs> just, just like a lot of swimmers, I'm hypermobile. Um, because of that hypermobility, I was using my joints to generate a lot of the force uh, and not using actual muscle. Um, and nobody corrected my technique, unfortunately. And it wasn't until um, I had to basically sit out my senior year because of the surgeries um, I got a job coaching in the Bahamas and that's when I started to really get the time to play around with what I was doing. I was relearning how to move basically. And that was the reason why I was able to start getting back into swimming. And that's when I had sort of this epiphany. It's like, oh, I can fix the way that I move so I don't have pain anymore. I wanna be able to do that for everybody. Anybody that wants to learn how to swim or anybody that wants to improve their swimming, I wanna be able to help regardless of their abilities or limitations um, or whatever their obstacles are. So I took it upon myself to become a swim coach. That was always my <laughs> mission and mantra. And then I figured, well, there's only just me. I can't help everybody. I've got to start training people to help more people so that I can help as many people as possible. And then Swimbox started, all right? It was basically the opportunity to help as many people as possible. And now we have... 10, uh, maybe 11, 11 instructors um, who, what, I think the first year I did Swimbox, I coached 200 individuals, okay? Now, that's like a month. We do like yeah. 200, 300 people in a month now. And so that's like, that's so impactful to me that my mission is being fulfilled and it's so nice to be a part of that. Right. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, that's the whole reason that I ended up like randomly messaging you after listening to you on a podcast because I just, I don't even now remember what podcast it was that I was listening to you on. Um, it, um, it was not try swim coach. So at that time I was on two podcasts consistently, which was try swim coach 
And this other one was like, man, I feel bad. I know the guy's name. His name is Jeff. Very nice guy. Talked to him all the time. The podcast was like something swimming. Yeah. Swimming ideas. I think it was swimming ideas. Yeah. And I was just listening to it, you know, from my drive at the time I was on a PT rotation in Atlanta and I was just driving back and forth to Atlanta and Durham, North Carolina a lot. And so I was listening to that and I was like, is it weird if I randomly message this guy and just say, I like what you're doing and I want to be part of it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go for it. (laughs) Worst case scenario. I never hear from him again. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) That's a great point. I, I think, um, one of the great things about podcasting is the opportunity to express yourself and express your thoughts, but then you can reach out to these people. We're, we're all just normal people or, you know, right. I'm, neither one of us are celebrities. So if right. you're listening to this podcast, you can always reach out to us and I would, re- I'll always respond to somebody. It might take me a while, but I'll always get back to somebody. Um, I'm yeah. always happy to help or, or connect with people. And I think, the cool thing was we also found out we have connections beyond just that podcast, right? right. One of our managers actually. And it's just like <laughs> the small world. It's kind of cool. Yeah. The swimming world is very small. <laughs> it is. Um, so would you say that a lot of the people that you're seeing coming into Swimbox, are they more so people who have been injured and are trying to figure out ways to prevent injury in the future? Or are they people who are starting off swimming and just do not want to get any sort of shoulder injury. What, what do you see the most of? Uh, we get a good mix. Um, we have really leaned into adult learn to swim because it's an underserved population. Um, and the resources for a lot of people to learn how to swim as adults are very limited, uh, to even to the point where they sign up to do a group swim lesson in a rec center. And there might be kids in that group swim lesson. And that's a really awkward place to put an adult. A lot of adults feel like they are being watched and are embarrassed about it. Um, so we provide yeah. a lot of privacy and we can personalize things to that adult. And I think people need to understand adults better in, in teaching. Um, it's very hard to learn as an adult. I know. Trust me, I know. Um, I taught myself how to shoot archery as an adult. It took me a long time, and I'm still not very good. So, um, you know, it's adult learn to swim is a big part of it for us now. Um, I learned very early on that people tend to don't care about injury prevention. They only care once they're injured. Yeah. So <laughs> nobody comes in and goes, I'm going to start doing training for my Ironman and I don't want to get injured. It's always, I started training for my Ironman and my shoulder started to bother me. Right. Right. So um, it, it's mostly us correcting people who think that they know what they're doing. And, and yeah. most people think they know what they're doing when it comes to swimming. And it's tricky to say the least. Yeah. On Saturday, we had an in-service uh, for what, I think you might've heard of the podcast for originally. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The foundational breathing method is uh, a method that I came up with how to, to work on posture via the breath and then how that works into actually swimming. Um, and so you've got to be pretty open-minded to, to, to not have a background in strength and conditioning or PT and recognize that breathing does play a role in posture. And, and our instructors right. will 
came with a very open mind and we all experimented with breathing together and, and, and all this stuff. And everyone walked away feeling like they had a little bit more knowledge and hopefully walked away with a little bit more curiosity as well. What prompted you to start focusing more on that breathing and looking at the breathing and how that correlates to posture? Um, I do think it's a huge component that you, you don't really think about until, especially you're at a high level and someone's like, we're trying to nitpick all of the tiniest details to make you better. But if this was something that you're trained when you learn how to swim, I mean, that's huge. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a game changer. And, and um, first, where our swim box, location of swim box was actually located in a um, facility, not unlike Upright Athlete, actually. You know, they had uh, strength and conditioning coaches, they had physical therapists, they had bike fitters, um, they had a run analysis. So I was surrounded by fitness professionals outside of the swimming world. And especially the strength and conditioning coaches really resonated with me. Um, they, they took a very um, similar approach to how they were training strength and conditioning to how I would train swimming. Mm-hmm. And so we bonded over just training in general. And then we would just share ideas and, and it just became more and more sort of evident to me that we underestimate breathing in our day-to-day life and the roles that it has in our, our day-to-day life. Um, and it just started sort of the click. It was like, wait a second, if I breathe a certain way, it makes my posture a certain way. Well, what if I change the way that I breathe while I swim to make my posture better for swimming? And then it was almost like this, like, snowball effect was like, Oh my God, if I could change this part of my posture because of my breath, now I can generate better force or better mobility and have better movements in general. Oh my God. I got to, I figured, I got to figure all this out. Right. Right. Like being surrounded by the right people for sure. And then just having this curiosity, I'm not satisfied usually. And that's yeah. the burden of my life is that I'm not really <laughs> more. I'm always trying to understand more. And um, one of the things that came up in the in-service on Saturday was, well, how does this apply to an adult learning to swim? And just going off of what you just said, I mean, if you can teach someone to direct air and breathe diaphragmatically, someone who thinks they can't float will probably float very easily. It's just where they're putting their air because where someone puts their air changes their center of buoyancy. And the goal should be to get their center of buoyancy a little bit closer to their center of gravity. Something that we don't have in land is a center of buoyancy. So it's a very foreign concept for a lot of people. And if you close your ribs a little bit, right, get closer to an exhale position, it brings that center of buoyancy closer to your center of gravity. And then you float. It's kind of an amazing thing. Um, So it has direct effects on on adult learn to swim as well as competitive swimmers yeah absolutely i think some of it too is as you get more comfortable swimming you know people will adapt to doing that without realizing that that's specifically what they're doing um and they didn't learn it ever right they just learned that well if i need to stay afloat (laughs) this is what i'm going to naturally start to do because i've been swimming for decades Right. But for someone who hasn't, it's, it doesn't come naturally and feels frustrating. Right. If the basic first concept of swimming, just learning how to float is difficult, but 
I, I think it's a good point that it can be taught, it can be learned, um, even as an adult, which is awesome. Yeah. And on the competitive side, I had a client uh, last Tuesday where our lessons are 45 minutes long. He spent 10 minutes in the water. The rest of the time, we worked on his breathing. Uh, he came or he has some shoulder issues. Um, and I, it's always a little bit, it's got to be a little bit weird. It's got to be a little bit weird for someone to come to a swim lesson and then spend 35 minutes of that swim lesson <laughs> on land, right? Um, but he was open-minded about it and was a good sport about it. And he understood, he, he got it very quickly that if he breathes a certain way, his rib cage is put into a certain position, which prevents his shoulder blade from moving, which then leads to a shoulder issue. Um, obviously, I have to cue certain things. I don't lay this out like this. Uh, another good question that came from Saturday from one of our instructors was, well, you don't tell people to cause tension here and to lift this here. I'm like, No, 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 no. I'm cueing the breath for a reason because that's something that someone can control and it's very simple. So I can cue someone's breath to elicit the response I want. It's almost like I'm manipulating them into doing what I want them to do without having to tell them what I want them to do. And so right. we see it in adult learn to swim, competitive swimmers. And this was a, a college age swimmer, by the way. So he, at a college age swimmer, I think it is even more difficult to make those changes because they've been swimming a certain way for X amount of years. <laughs> Why should I change it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure that you have people who have been with you for a very long time and, you know, you can kind of progress the lessons because once you learn one thing, it's like, okay, now we could draw our focus to something else and continue to just build their toolbox of what they're, what they're learning yeah. and what they're working on. Yeah. It's, it's a, I think of it as like a cyclical learning experience. Um, so the very first thing I train instructors on is adult learner swim. Because those same concepts are the pattern or the the progress or pro progression that we're going to follow, even as they know how to swim, right? So you teach someone how to swim, you teach them how to float first, right? Well, that's just body posture, okay? And then you teach them how to kick. Well, that's just kicking. And then you teach them how to use their arms. And then you teach them how to take the breath. Well, we just take those same concepts and just keep refining, keep refining, following that circle, keep refining. And at some point it becomes into workouts versus lessons. And then it's like, how fatigued can I get this person and have them not fall apart? All right. That's always the goal. Right. Can we go even harder now. Can we go even <laughs> faster? Nope, you're falling apart. Let's back it off a little bit. Let's see if we can reapproach that. All right. So yeah. I've had clients not swim box. They weren't just swim box clients. Um, but I've had swimmers that I've been working with for over a decade now. Um, yeah. you know, they started in master's practices and now it's in swim box. Um, but it's kind of amazing when you get to see some, someone's progress from a decade ago, I have clients who couldn't swim, um, more than 12 yards and they could only do 25 yards if they had fins on. Right. Those people have now graduated to doing multiple Ironmans and coming to our open water um, swim camps. You know, it's like, yeah, mind blowing to be like, oh, this person I remember, I remember very clearly, she couldn't even swim more than 25 yards. And yeah. now she's like fearless. Open water, no problem. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's fun when you get to that 
point with a lot of people too that you know yeah they're not they're not injured anymore their their improvement is substantial but they still see that okay there's always room to grow i mean there's never going to be a point and i tell my patients this all the time there's never going to be a point where they come in and i'm like yeah i mean you're you're perfect and <laughs> there's nothing we could ever fix good luck you know <laughs> there's always something we could work on even if it is you're coming in and we're seeing can we get you to your brink of starting to break down? Because yeah. then we know, okay, this is, you broke down first at your knee. That's something we're going to start attacking, right? So I think it's kind of fun at that point of just seeing how far you can continue to push somebody and then recognize that there's always going to be a breaking point And we just want to make that breaking point further and further away from the actual activity you're going to be doing. Good for you guys, because there's a lot of, physical therapy out there that basically is a very old model and it's like come in for X amount and you're done. And you basically yeah. have been doing exercises in a vacuum and it's like, well, that's not really real world scenario at all. So good for you guys for, for trying to get encourage people to stick around, not to the point where they just feel better, but to the point where can you do this under stress now? Yeah. And that's right. That's, I think of a, a good PT model to search for if someone isn't listening or if someone is listening to this outside of, you know, Raleigh, Durham area, um, you know, you need to find a PT that's willing to, to do the work beyond just, okay, you're fixed. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, you know, people are coming in after an injury and they've got their certain goals, right. That they want to get back to, whether that's, I just want to be able to swim again without pain. Right. But then once we hit that, I'm like, don't you want to change your goals now? <laughs> don't you want to be able to do this now? You know, um, because we can always change our goals. And I think that's what people need to recognize is just because you hit your goals doesn't mean that I think that we're done here. You know, I think there's so yeah. much more that we can do past that and just adjust the goals and keep moving. Yeah, I think it'd be weird not to have the ability to adjust a goal, right? Because you will get to yeah. a point where that you maybe you achieve that goal. And then what? You just stop swimming? Is that yeah, done with PT, done with swim box? I feel accomplished, you know. I box, I <laughs> free now, so I'm just gonna stop. Retire yeah. on high note, right? It doesn't work that way, right? You have to shift and go, well, well, what's my new goal? Um yeah. as as a PT, do you find that you also cross the, 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 the boundary of becoming a coach in a way, you know what I mean? Yes, definitely. Um, and I think, you know, that's even what kind of inspired me to start doing the vault movement coaching as well. Um, just because I was seeing that there's a lot of overlap there, you know, and at some point it is on where it's a coaching session. Right. And this person's pretty independent, but they still want either someone to make sure that they're doing their exercises properly, or they want to make sure that their form is appropriate once they get past a certain, you know, mileage or yardage. So it does slowly start to transition to that side, which I think is fun being able to go in and out of both of them. Yeah. I I've noticed that, let's see, within the last I don't know, four or five years, all of the PTs that I'm being introduced to now are also strength and conditioning coaches. They're like the new <laughs> hybrid. Like they're all strength and conditioning coaches 
as well as PTs. It's very rarely yeah. that I need a PT that's just a PT now. Yeah. It's- yeah, absolutely. I, um, I think I, I took my test to become a personal trainer as I had like a couple months left of PT school. Mm-hmm. just because I was like, I might as well do this. I'm studying for boards all the time. I might as well study for another test. And, yeah. you know, it's all applicable. It's just what you're focusing on. Um, but I think there's so much overlap between all of the fields that it's just fun to learn as much as you can about all of them. You might as well. Right. <laughs> then that's the same. That's what happened to me, right? I was basically surrounded by this mindset. And then that's what inspired me to start taking PRI courses um, so that I can learn more about breathing. And, you know, I know that I'll never be an expert in breathing. I'd have to dedicate the rest of my life to it, to be an expert in breathing, but I don't need to be an expert in breathing. I just need to be an expert in swimming and know how breathing can help and affect that part right. of my expertise, so to speak. Right. Um, what do you guys do at Upright Athlete for swimmers? Because you're a swimmer yourself. So I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. Like- Whether I come out and film them or their coach films them above yeah. water and underwater, and I'll have them bring it in so that we can analyze it in the clinic. Um, and that's something that I'll probably, you know, start to do more of with boat movement and just, we have so many club teams in the area. And this is why I would love to have a swim box in the area um, because it it would be such a huge benefit, honestly, to have this access to a group of coaches that is very specific in what they're looking for. They're able to give some of these swimmers more attention than what they're getting at their club practices. Um, And I think a lot of people would jump at this idea it's a huge benefit. And that's why I'd love to have something like that in this area, just because we do have a lot of swimmers that would really benefit from being able to get in the water and have, have coaching immediate, immediate coaching and results. Um, Especially right now with everything that's going on with pools, you know, being closed or plane reservations being packed. It's been, you know, a little bit chaotic for people to even find, find time to swim, let alone find time to get coaching outside of practice time. Yeah. We, we are an opportunity to correct movement in an aquatic setting because that's not easy to come across. So yeah, and- no, absolutely not. We even recently in the clinic, we're talking about what people are using for either return to sport or rehab guidelines and mm-hmm. how you know, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of research done on, let's say, for example, someone who's had an ACL injury, right? Mm-hmm. And how to determine after they've had surgery, whether or not they're ready to go back to their sport. And people have come up with all different tests, you know, a lot of different hop tests, things like that. And now more and more research is coming out that, okay, well, we don't want to just keep them in this linear plane and then say, well, they're doing a good job hopping, I think they could go back and play soccer, right? It doesn't correlate. So people are starting to see more and more with the research and that's, this is done, you know, a lot more with ACL tears than it is for something more that we're looking at with swimmer, right? I would say that looking at that same dynamic with the rotator cuff injury and seeing, Mm -hmm. okay, are we going to challenge them in one plane or should we make this more of a neuromotor 
rehab plan. And of course it should be because when they get back in the water, we're not just in one plane and trying to move our shoulder through that plane of motion, especially if we already have restrictions that have come from the surgery and just from your normal movement pattern that you've developed over years, you're going to go right back to that. So a lot of what we're seeing is this increase in needing to find more neuromotor rehab Mm -hmm. and people being willing to do the research on that, right? Because we, we know we can recognize that, okay, it doesn't really make sense for a swimmer just to sit there and do external rotation by their side. You can get strong in that plane, but we normally don't just have our arms by our side when we're swimming. So then we start to realize, yeah, it, it proved that they got stronger. But what does that matter? And it didn't apply to the water. <laughs> yeah. One school of thought of, we have to know exactly what that injury is in order to correct it. Right. And then the other school of thought is, I just need to see the wrong movement and correct the movement. I don't know. Have you come in contact with that, those two opposing worlds? Yeah, absolutely. I think that as it is more of kind of like the old school approach to do very specific tests that specifically look at one muscle versus another muscle versus another muscle, where we're weak, you know, where we're lacking range of motion. And I think, yes, there's a time and a place for that, but especially when we get to more of that functional level where people are trying to do something that's very active. And it requires a lot of muscles to come into play. And sometimes the muscle that's injured is the muscle that's compensating and not the muscle that is weak and originally caused the problem. So, so that's where the, it, it crosses, right? Because yeah, I can see that you're having, you're telling me that you're having pain in this spot, but that's not where I'm seeing the movement break down. So if we only address the symptoms, then you'll be back here in a month. Right it's huge to be able to actually look at what the person is doing and whether or not we can apply their rehab directly to that. If we can't replicate it as close as possible, then someone really shouldn't be returning to that sport unless we know for sure that they're able to do it properly. So I hear this phrase a lot, by the way, by PTs returning to sport. Yes, Yes, it is used a lot and everyone is always trying to quantify what that means and how to even know if someone is ready to go back to doing the activity they were doing. And that's where a lot of this research and big debate is coming from is, do we know, do we have anything that actually gives you objective data on whether or not someone is ready to do that action or no? Um, Because that also makes me think, well, there's a psychological component to this too. Absolutely. I, one of the worst moments of my swimming career was I was not supposed to swim on a relay at conferences because of my shoulders. For some reason, I can't remember the reason I had to swim and I dove in and the, the, the vacuum that's created from a dive actually partially dislocated my shoulder. And so when I took my first stroke, great, it wasn't very pleasant. It hurt quite a bit. It was a traumatic experience actually. It made me not want to dive ever again, to be honest. Yeah. There's a psychological component to injury. And I know you know that, but 
how is that addressed in this concept of return to sport? Right. Right. That's tricky. That's very tricky. Yeah. I think, I think it's huge. And I think depending on the person, right. It's going to play a different role. So if someone has directly had a traumatic experience, then we need to be looking at the psychological aspect of them returning to play. And a lot of times they have, because that's why they're here. Something went wrong. They got injured. It could have been pretty traumatic. They had surgery. And now we're trying to see if they're ready to go back to that. And physically, maybe you'll get to that point where you are and mentally not be there yet. Um, And I think that can be, that's a pretty huge factor, but also very hard to quantify. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a time that I started to go down a sports psychology rabbit hole after my breathing rabbit hole. Um, yeah. Just, I mean, we're all head cases, especially when it comes to competition, right? We always have self-doubt and the people that have the least amount of self-doubt or that can overcome that self-doubt perform the best. Um, so it just was, it's just fascinating to me how that we're all head cases in some way. And mm-hmm. is it being addressed in a recovery mindset? Um, because I can make the argument that any injury is traumatic and any sort of compensation, muscular compensation is subconscious, but it is a part of that, that mental aspect. And so if I'm, if I'm um, compensating with a muscle, even if I've retrained the movement, even if I strengthen everything to retrain the movement subconsciously, I'm still going to want to compensate because I haven't been actually convinced subconsciously that I'm safe to do this movement. So it's, it's an uphill battle. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think the psychological aspect too can also, or should also be considered when you're even doing injury prediction and looking at the your mm-hmm. all of your athletes that you have and seeing is there a way that I could start to predict and quantify whether or not people are going to get injured it's a huge component I think that's a great thing to bring up I definitely can predict a person's injury just based off of seeing them move um it, it, I've been doing right. this long now that it's like oh maybe not tomorrow maybe not next week but that person's going to come in and see me because their shoulder that they move poorly is going to blow up. Um, there are outliers. There's always somebody that has been swimming a certain way for like 30 years. And if I saw them, I'd be like, how is that person swimming that for 30 years and without an injury? You know, there's outliers out there for sure. But I still believe at some point that injury is going to catch up with them. At some point, something's going to happen where um, maybe their, their mobility or their flexibility changes and they still try to make that movement. And then there it goes. Bam. That's all it takes. So right. predicting injury is an interesting concept as well. Yes. But until someone is injured, sometimes they won't, they don't care. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to fix it if it's not broken until we reach that point where you really are unable to do what you want to do. You may not seek help. <laughs> I'm hoping people listen to this and go, that sounds like me. Maybe I should go seek help now. <laughs> now <laughs> because come see us now <laughs> let's say let's say i'm not a hundred percent injured but maybe i'm 40 percent injured it's easier right. to fix that 40 percent and you won't have as much downtime yes <laughs> you, so you'll wait until you're 100 percent. people need to recognize that we do have a set of skills and knowledge 
that is beyond just what they can read on the internet or beyond what they can just find in a video on the internet. And um, maybe they should be reaching out to these professionals near them or swim box if you're near us. Right. Um, shameless plug. And to yeah. <laughs> yeah. make sure we're doing this right, especially with something uh, like a shoulder injury because the shoulder is so varied in movement and it's so complex that maybe an hour's worth of internet research isn't going to be enough for you. Maybe you need to talk to someone who's been doing this for 16 years. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of it too, you can look on the internet and, you know, find whatever videos you want to find, but the, the big draw of what you guys are doing is that it's individualized. You know, you're not having, you're not every single person that comes in the door. All right. You're going to do the same exercise that they're doing. We're all going to get in the water and do the exact same thing it's completely individualized. And that's what people aren't getting when they just do their Google searches is getting something that's actually accurate for them and what they should be right. doing. Yeah. And then working on that. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, I want, um, I want you to give me some of your ideas of what you see as your long-term goals for Swimbox. The main goal has not changed. The main goal for Swimbox is to help people, right? And that's what we're Love doing. Um, if growth is a part of that, I'll, I'll accept it. If um, the goal isn't to grow, yeah. you know, if that's the goal, then it is taking away from helping people and caring for people. So our goal is always just to try to help as many people as we possibly can. Um, and maybe the hope is that we get to 20 locations. <laughs> right. Because then you're branching out of all the people that you could help in those 20 locations, which is awesome. Right. Right. So that's really the goal is, is just really to help people. Um, we care a great deal about swimming. Swimming has given me everything. So if I can give back just 10% of what it's given me, I'll be, I'll be content. I'll be satisfied, even though I'm never satisfied. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Impossible task. <laughs> I do want to thank you so much for coming on to our Upright Athlete podcast, our episode three. I really appreciate just being able to talk to you and having any conversation with swimming is always a fun part of my day. So I've been looking forward to this. Um, and I just love all the ideas that you have. And if you ever, you know, want to bounce ideas off of me, please reach out because I love it. Um, and we can geek out more and more over swimming and return to swim and <laughs> the rehab that goes into that. I think it's awesome. I, I really appreciate being on. Thank you for having me on. And um, I will absolutely be bouncing ideas off of you. So get ready. <laughs> can I just get a shout out before we're done? Yes, please That's do. All. It's really simple. If you go to Google and you Google swim box, <laughs> You While you're probably, also Googling your swim videos. <laughs> yes, you'll probably find us. Our website is theswimbox.com because there is a pace clock for endless pools based out of the UK called Swimbox. That's not us. Huh. <laughs> we do swim lessons, not pace clocks. So, but if you Google Swimbox, you'll find us. Uh, and on Instagram, it's swim underscore box. We post a ton of videos to Instagram with a lot of information about technique in those videos. We try to stay away from inspirational quotes. Um, you know, we, we do our thing and we stay in our lane. So 
Instagram, YouTube, uh, our website, Swimbox, 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 basically. Love it. All right. Thanks. Yes, of course. Thanks for coming on. concludes episode number three of the Upright Athlete Podcast. We would like to thank Dominic again for taking the time to chat with me about the importance of injury prevention and specialized rehab for all athletes. Dominic's love for the swimming world and drive to help others perform at their desired levels is both inspiring and contagious. This serves as a reminder to all athletes to listen to your body at all times, advocate for yourself throughout your ebbs and flows, and seek expert opinion and guidance when necessary throughout your careers in order to mitigate risk of injury and maximize performance. Please take the time to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and don't hesitate to reach out if you ever have any questions for us.